Hello everyone, and welcome back to Think Like a Human. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Will Cilio, and in this episode, we'll be continuing our conversation on the philosophy of imagination. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, this past fall I was part of a class on the subject, taught by Professor Amy Kind, of last episode. As a part of the class, we did these group projects that engaged with philosophy and imagination, Um, in various ways, and I teamed up with three of my classmates to record a podcast episode on imagination and fantasy, especially focusing on um, the ideas of guided fantasy and media. It was a really fun project, uh, and so I want to say thank you to uh, Chandler, Ariam, and Gino, first of all, for um, having such a fun time while doing that, and... um, doing that project with me and giving me the okay to release this as a part of Think Like a Human. Also, if you haven't already listened to the previous episode on imagination, while it is by no means required listening for this episode, we do fairly little explanation of philosophical concepts related to imagination, um, which are covered in the episode with Professor Amy Kind. So yeah, if you haven't already, give that one a listen. And I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Here we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to CMC Philosophy Department's Thursday Night Conversation, more often referred to as TNC. Tonight we're going to be talking about when, if ever, it is bad to imagine or fantasize about certain things. And more particular to our conversation, we're going to be focusing in on guided imaginations and guided fantasies, if there is such a thing. Joining me tonight, I have my esteemed colleagues. Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Hello. (laughs) I'm Will. Hi, I'm Ariam. What's up? I'm Gina. Hi, I'm Chandler. And... Tonight, we are... Let's go. Oh, my God. All right. So, imagination versus fantasy. What are the defining features of each? Are they similar? In what ways do they differ? I'd say fantasy is pretty different. Um, all fantasy requires is that you have a desi- some desire to engage in what you're imagining as opposed to imagining generally, which doesn't require any emotional response that you're getting from the imagining. I would go even further, I think, than just saying that fantasy requires any emotional response to say that fantasy seems to also require a first personal sort of desire to engage in the thing that is happening whereas alternatively imagination to me at least just seems like thinking about anything it could be good or bad you could want it or not want it but imagination intrinsically is just the activity of thinking right so more specific to our discussion then is the question of, I guess, guided fantasy and guided imagination, and if guided fantasy even exists. Um, is it within the nature of fantasy to be a guided activity? What so, do you think on that one? So I think it's definitely easier to be guided to imagine something through reading um, or through watching a movie um, than it is to be guided to sort of have a first personal fantasy about something or want to imagine something as if you're the one doing it or like take pleasure in it as if it's like your own life but I think that it's definitely 
possible to at least be guided to fantasy. Um, and so, say, like, you had not really been actively considering the lottery as, like, a viable way to mm-hmm. improve your life. You saw a movie, someone won the lottery, and then you start fantasizing, thinking about, like, a situation in which you won the lottery. It's not as if you're just, like, doing exactly what the film instructed you to do, but as a result of sort of the thoughts placed in your mind by the film and the suggestions that it sort of presented to you, um, you then, like, are more inclined to fantasize about those things. And I would say that, like, beyond that, there are also, like, other types of media which people actually do sort of more directly fantasize or engage with um, in, like, a fantasy-type setting. Hmm. Like, what types of what types of media are you thinking about? So, like, I think superhero movies is huh. maybe one where it's like, oh, I would love to be um, Superman, like, punching Nazis in the face. But I think also, in, like, a darker way, um, maybe not darker, but, like, less PG way, like, when people watch pornography, like, people often, like, fantasize about being in that situation. And right. Yeah, so I think that media definitely can, though probably not as frequently, lead to guided fantasy as opposed to guided imaginings, but I think it's like in somewhat specific context, but I think it's important to consider being guided to fantasy um, as being a pretty common occurrence as a result of what we see in media or read in media, um, as opposed to um, just being guided to imagine things. Because I think people do look at things that happen in books or in movies in a way that they're like, oh, I wish this yeah, was something right. I could do. Right, right. You engage with it in a certain in a certain way that, yeah, ends up to be fantasy. I, I definitely resonated with the the superhero example that you just brought up. Well, no, because, like, I don't know, you think you, you think about, like, the powers, or wouldn't it be cool to have, you know, a suit of armor that I could fly around with and, you know, shoot people with my, with my hand rockets or whatever, like Iron Man or... Yeah. Um, if I could control the lightning like Thor, like those, it's definitely very visceral. Um, it's a very visceral imagining, and it's kind of like it's an easy one to engage in. Um, I also think that I don't know. We need to consider like what the influence of like you know this the medium itself can have. Um, but so just one thing, really quick, just before we go on to that, is I wanted to note that while I like totally agree with Chandler's point that we can. Uh, be guided towards fantasizing. I do not think that it is necessary that everyone can be led to the same fantasy mm-hmm. if they do not already possess the features or like... So even if we agree that uh, a movie portrayed something like power really well and like Superman is being this really courageous, powerful person, I'm sure there is someone who would find that same power and same violence to be disgusting mm-hmm. and precisely because of the fact that they're guided so well into imagining that thing they just find it horrifying um and so so in that sense what differentiates that person from someone else who actually finds that imaginative activity pleasing would be the fact that they intrinsically like elements of it that another person may not and so fantasizing to me seems to be more of a activity that is unique for each person as each person brings their own elements to the thing that they like or don't like right right like i might i might go to the the superhero movie and love it whereas 
my mom might go and be horrified by the amount of violence, yeah. by, like, and completely disengaged, she wouldn't, like, be able to. It's not like she has fantasies of, like, having superhero powers, like, right. that's maybe something, or maybe she does, who, who knows, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not, I'm not in her head, but, uh, you know, I definitely have had those, those thoughts, and, like, that's something that is unique to my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it also just makes me think about her, just, I don't know, tangentially, um, when you think about the, the, um, I guess, like, the idea of how much, like, the skill of the, um, the creator actually plays a part and like yeah. the um, ability to draw us in and to fantasize with it because like I don't know I can think of um, I can totally see how I don't know like a poorly made um, or poorly shot movie could um, produce just like a, a much l- lesser ability to um, to get people to guide someone to fantasy and to get someone to engage with the content in that sort of a way um, whereas you know these really like high production superhero high high value high production superhero movies are just you know they're they're designed to literally designed to draw people in and i was i was just reading an article recently that was talking about how um there's all this like you know this audience engineering that goes into each and every one of those movies that they are working um you know to get as much feedback and input from um people who they think are going to be the audience for the movie um to be able to appeal to that audience even better and um, draw them in and yeah so that I found that pretty interesting Mm -hmm. yeah to expand a bit um, on something Ariam actually brought up I think there's more to say on the nature of how you're guided to imagine or fantasize so just go back to the book movie distinction Um, in terms of movies there's not much that you necessarily have to imagine because of the fact that all of the information generally is being presented to you, all of the important um, sensational cues, um, audio, vis- visual cues, you don't have to think about any of those necessarily, so it's a lot easier to try to pick up on the things that mm-hmm. you would necessarily feel this desire to fantasize about. Whereas when reading a book, you don't have that all of that information. You only have the details and word format, so you kind of have to fill in everything else. However, when it comes to actually picking out the things that you want to fantasize, presuming you know, great book versus great movie, all of those things, all of those things together in the book, probably help to create or influence a richer fantasy probably than you might get from the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, and that totally, like, I don't know, just to pick up on the moral thread, I guess, that brings in the question of, like, um, how much moral agency are we even attributing to people in those sorts of, right. of circumstances, right? When you're being guided to such a powerful fantasy um, through a movie that you're watching or something, or um, is that going to be any different than the amount of agency that you would describe to someone reading a book that has like say like perhaps it's negative some sort of there are some sort of negative themes in the the content of both um this really well-made book and this really well-made movie and um you know is getting is engaging with that and fantasizing um like with those uh being guided to fantasy with those themes is that going to be worse in a book format or um or in a movie format so i think that this actually kind of changes 
the focus of the conversation a bit um, in the sense that regardless of which media it is, while you might like be more able to imagine um, on your own, like in the context of a book, um, I think it's more important to focus on what people are being led to fantasize about. And right. so mm-hmm. if someone is fantasizing about, say, the actions of a superhero who maybe just punched 50 Nazis, but also just saved like 20 innocent people or like prevented a bomb from going off, Right. Or something like that. I feel like the fantasy is more centered around those sort of emotions and directives than it is around, like, wanting to fantasize about violence. Right. Or fantasize about, like, throwing a bomb back at someone. It's more about sort of the context of that fantasy and, like, wanting to, like, be in that position of power or, like, use that violence in that specific situation than it is about violence generally or it is like about whatever the action itself is because like yeah there are some actions where just generally it is bad like killing people generally bad um but but at the same time in certain contexts it can seem very much like the right thing to do um and so i think in terms of assessing people's morality or like how ethical it is for them to engage in that type of fantasy we have to look at in what ways they're engaging in that fantasy and like what that fantasy is really about for them and right for what reason they want to feel like that or they derive pleasure from imagining that they mm-hmm. were the ones doing that right right is it because they were killing 50 people or was it because they were saving the 20 innocents and to use your example um Chandler and then that I think even takes us back to like saying that that is precisely why something is a fantasy and not some sort of action that someone is conducting in real life because what someone might like about a superhero killing someone is their ability exactly like you said to stand up for themselves and be courageous in a way that they can then emulate that in their real life Mm -hmm. um, on the contrary though if they just like the fact that there is murder being committed or violence for the sake of sheer destruction Mm -hmm. that seems like something that not only would lend itself towards like bad behavior in real life, but also it's weird if someone is, is likes the fact that they're killing people, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and like is it I don't know, even like it just that just makes me think about like video games mm-hmm. and um I don't know, the fan, fantasizing fantasizing almost like being brought to life mm-hmm. um, in these video games where you like like Call of Duty or yeah. um or any you know first person shooter where you are yeah. being um, placed in the shoes of this this character and you're you're running around with a gun and you're shooting mm-hmm. people. Um, sometimes you're even shooting other people. Like in Call mm-hmm. No in Call of Duty, like there yeah. is someone else on the other side uh, with a controller in their hand, um, and they're trying to shoot you and you're trying to shoot them and you know it's it's literally another human being mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I mean I've definitely played my fair share of those games. Um, I'm pretty deep into Borderlands 3 right now, which is, to be fair, not other people um, on the other side, but it's, you know, there's all these min- evil minions that you're fighting and uh, um, crazy psychos who are sprinting at you that you have to shoot before they get to you. Um, but see, it's other people, but it's not other people. But it's not other you're people. You're killing someone without the consequences of, of killing someone in real life, and, and I think that's what appeals to us in a video game, is that mm-hmm. it's the ability to simulate um, the experience, even though you know that it's immoral or wrong or bad in the real world. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So is that then, 
I don't know. I mean, like, it echo, it's echoing echoing the uh, the worries of I'm sure a million mothers out there. It's just like, is that gonna is this is this video game gonna make their their kid turn into a mass murderer or something? Or? Here's the question. I don't know if any of you have ever played the game Red Dead Redemption. It's a very famous game. It's like Grand Theft Auto with cowboys. Mm, nice. um, cool. And I remember when I was in middle school and this game came out. There's an achievement for like lassoing, hog tying, and then leaving someone on a train track to get hit by a train. Mm -hmm. And so in the process of doing that, I was like, oh, I need to get this achievement. And so as soon as I found out about it, I like went and did it. And then it wasn't like, oh yes, like I'm like hog tying this woman and leaving her on the train tracks. It's like, no, I got this achievement. So I think yeah. in like some of these contexts, like in video games in particular, it is something that's like, as Ariam said, like very far removed from reality and not something that we like would enjoy or want to do in reality. It's more yeah. just like, it's a fictional place with no consequences and it doesn't really seem to matter. Right. So yeah. like, if they aren't real people, if they aren't suffering, why, why should it matter? Yeah. yeah, there's an interesting conversation to be had about that, um, about that distance from what's going on in the game or what exactly you're trying to achieve in the game versus how much that kind of reflects what we how we would actually act what consequences we would actually consider in reality so to go back to the call of duty example oh yeah i'm killing some guy on the other side of uh nuketown and i don't it's not the fact that i'm killing him that's fun that I'm I'm the better shot um, I didn't just run around and camp him or whatever else you do in Call of Duty yeah right. <laughs> meanwhile um, in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 that um, I think is at the beginning of the game there's a level where you have to pretend to be a terrorist but you actually go into an airport and shoot up a bunch of people that are just innocent and the developers actually gave players the option to just sw uh, skip over that level entirely and think and thinking about it I would say yeah I would definitely still go and you know try to best the other dude multiplayer but playing through that left playing through that level where I'm just mow mowing mowing down people not not because um I'm just like trying to detach myself, but almost like this really kind of weird scenario, which is like quasi real. And um, I think um, anyone correct me, but the game kind of came out um, what year? After 9 11. It was like 2009. 2009, yeah. yeah. So, but like 9 is still pretty fresh in the mind. So, while a 12 year old who's playing the game, why they're playing is another question, but. 12-year-olds playing the game is probably just going to play through that level and maybe not think anything of it, but if you're an adult who, you know, was around during 2001 and you and remember the state of the nation after that event, you'd probably be more poised to skip over it. And that would be understandable just because your, ima your imaginative distance to that is a little bit too close to the point where you can just try to disengage from it and try to find some other um, value in, fantasi in fantasizing or imagining about that situation. So, so there's something about that that actually makes me wonder, one about, I, I don't, I think that the reason why like you yourself just 
distinguish the fact that adults would be more wary about playing that game versus kids is because with them it's sort of that scenario of imagining a bathtub and that naked woman just pops up. It's something about visualizing versus imagining. And so here right. we're seeing that they're pulling elements from their real life in it. And now because they know that right. it's immoral in the real world, that is tainting their f- fantastical activity altogether. Um, which is just to say that like that could raise the question as to whether or not that fantasy in and of itself is bad or not, or it's because we're bringing elements to it that taint it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And then, irrespective, I was also thinking that, let's say someone engaged with this activity just for the sake of it, right? If they wanted to play this game or they wanted to be a terrorist, I think that there's a lot of value in being guided towards an imaginatively abhorrent thing, precisely because it leads to like this sort of discussion. Like we know that it's so reprehensible, mm-hmm. and it reaffirms yeah. our, our realization that you know we wouldn't do this because of this, this, and this. Whereas if 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 there wasn't if there wasn't an awareness as to why something is wrong, doesn't that necessarily or couldn't that make it easier to do the wrong thing in the first place? Right, right. That kind of brings up the um, the question of of, of humor, um, mm. especially. Yeah, the way that we can find these sorts of things and agree that they're morally abhorrent. Mm. Um, that's very much similar to humor in the way that I don't know, like um, if you were to think about like Monty Python or. Um, funny sorts of I guess we were we were at the as we were starting our conversation we were um, doing dictator <laughs> voices um, yeah, like the the, the, yeah. Bor- the Borat voice yeah. is the yeah. like one of the most prevalent I don't know like but it's not just sorts the of, voice the thing is right so, like the thing about it's Borat that was brilliant right? yeah it's like a caricature mm-hmm. of like how Americans perceive people from like countries that they don't know about. Like, right, right, and, right. It's not in, like and in, like it's it's crazy though because it's like it's a couple levels deep because right it's yep. a caricature of yep. how we think of people mm-hmm. from other countries and so in doing so, he does all this you know he right. does all he does all this fucked up shit. He is yep. yeah. this American dude like taking on these roles of like this this. Um, I, 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 could, I could quote directly from point, it, like, <laughs> which I'm not going to do. But, when he, yeah. I think the most memorable, like, image of the entire movie Mox. is when he is in, um, no, <laughs> <the> wrong <laughs> movie, uh, is when he is at the, um, it's the cowboy competition. Oh, movie. yeah, 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 uh, the, the, the rodeo. The road, he is at the rodeo. He is at the rodeo, and he says, I support President Bush's war of terror, and, and everyone just starts clapping. Yeah, and yeah. it's like... That was one of the craziest... It, it, yeah. yeah, and he's like, I, I want like, to drink... May President the, Bush, Bush drink, drink the blood, blood of a like, thousand Iraqis. From yeah. the skulls of like every Iraqi man, woman, and child. Right. And it's like... And people, people were like clapping. clapping. Yeah, yeah. it's... So, and those are real people. Like mm, he is getting real reactions, right? Like, genuine so, reactions. On the one yeah. hand, it's like in a lot of situations, like we see that and we laugh. Like even like uh, watching that, I yeah, was laughing. I was, I was laughing. also like terrified, but right. I was like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. But the thing, I think, the danger that can be run in these fictions that like we might not want to talk about is that people. Some people might hear things being said that are meant to be, like, ironic. Like, oh, like, obviously, like, all taxation is theft. Ha ha. But then, like, a bunch of kids have access to the internet now. And so I know, like, 
13, 14 year old kids like retweeting memes about taxation being theft and it's like, interesting, do you pay taxes? And the yeah. answer is no. Right. And it's just that like people like make these jokes thinking they're making it to a very niche audience. And like when Sasha Baron Cohen says like the thing about the war of terror, everyone in the audience assumed he was just on the same side, like in the same mindset they were. And they're like, yup, yup. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of a danger that's posed with fiction and just guided fantasy or guided imagining in general is that sometimes things can be meant to be portrayed as like a joke or satirically, ironically. Right. And then others take them seriously and they're like, yes, I agree with this. And at a certain point, I think we might have to question like, how can we ensure people aren't taking this the wrong way. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, to widen the scope a little bit. Um, that's actually a real problem right now with fake news mm -hmm. and with all these sorts of like ironic, like pseudo ironic internet communities um, yeah, right. that, you know, it's like, haha, wouldn't it be crazy if there was a deep state that's effect like, you know, uh, attacking Donald Trump mm -hmm. and uh, trying to get him out of office and um, like you say it enough times and people start to believe it it's um, it's kind of crazy how, how that happens and I think that can definitely be um, recognized as one of the dangers of um, going down that path of sort of like I don't know these guided sort of Fantasies and imagination that it's it's almost like it's it's ironic or not even really um, Thought to be connected right. to the the truth or reality, but um, That just makes me sort of think though that like with so with great power comes great responsibility when we have the internet mm. when we have this ability to like spread these crazy jokes and make tons of people laugh on the other side of it there are other people who can take offense to these things or because or there are other people who are affected by these things, right? Yeah. But I think that if we if we if we restrict ourselves to only engaging in the certain sorts of activities that we see as being morally right or wrong for everyone, then I don't necessarily know that that there's gonna be any activities or anything for us to laugh at or engage in altogether. Mm -hmm. Because there's always gonna be someone somewhere who's gonna be affected by something. Um and of course, like to tie us back to like what we were all saying earlier, and like um, Will, what you were saying about there being so many elements to it, we're not laughing at the fact that people are affected by the fact that some people are not paying enough taxes mm -hmm. or whatever, and so they're not getting like public housing, etc. We're just laughing at the fact that oh, it's a satirical, ironic calling to attention of that thing, mm -hmm. um, and I think like it's important to realize that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, on the one hand, it's something that is a real problem. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, otherwise, how do we talk about it? And how do we have a discourse like we're, like yeah. we have here? Um, yeah. Without yeah. a few a few laughs and, and jokes thrown in. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we should wrap, wrap it, it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. Sounds good to me. Thanks so much for, for talking, you guys, and Professor Kind, and everyone else. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Um, we'll, see we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. This has been the moth. <laughs>